Well, this, this morning we're going to spend a few minutes uh, in Acts chapter 9 and uh, looking at uh, a story of redemption, uh, looking at two characters that played a, a small role um, and then one character that played a central role um, in a story of redemption in the life of two men and how that impacted the world. And, and I don't know about you, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. If you want to go ahead and turn there, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a red Bible in the pew in front of you. You can turn to page, I believe it's 777 is the page this morning that you can find Acts chapter 9 on. But I don't know about you, but, but I am intrigued by, I'm entertained by, I, I really enjoy watching movies that tell stories about redemption. Um, Hollywood has found a way uh, to make millions and millions of dollars uh, telling redemption stories. Some of these stories are about real people. Uh, You see the movies, you know, they're based on a true story, inspired by real events. None of them are actually completely true. Hollywood doctors them up just a little bit. But then they're completely, as, as Tate's learning in kindergarten, the difference between nonfiction and fiction. And they're completely untrue, unreal stories that a creator, a producer, a writer, a group of people get together, write a script, and make a movie about it. And one of, one of the most popular ones, at least in our family, maybe in yours as well, is the, the Toy Story trilogy. And then there's been several little offshoots. I think there's one called the, the Toy Story that Time Forgot comes on around Christmas time. And there's all these characters. But you know the central players in that, in that story of Toy Story. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the very first one this morning and talk about the topic of redemption in the movie Toy Story. So if you've seen that movie, you know that Andy is a human being. He's a child and he has a bunch of toys that when he's not around, these toys come to life and they interact with one another and they talk and they play and they, they do pranks and they do things to one another and they, they check when Andy's coming home and they get back where they need to go and all that. And Andy's favorite toy, he's got his name written on his boot, is Woody the Cowboy. And Woody's a part of the Roundup gang. You learn to meet some more of them in Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. You get to know them a little better. But in Toy Story 1, Andy, his favorite toy is Woody. And he's like the central guy that that everybody is friends with. And all the toys kind of look to him for leadership and look to him for direction. And and, uh, the voice is played by Tom Hanks. So just a great, great, great movie. We've watched it probably dozens and dozens of times at our house. We have, I think, a DVD version of it. And it's saved with the DVR. And I'm pretty sure we have a version of it on an iPad or something like that. But in that movie, Woody makes a few mistakes. He gets himself into a little bit of trouble. Buzz, this new toy that comes into the mix, he gets him lost, gets him separated from the rest of the toys. Andy and his family are getting ready to move. All this is happening. And so Woody has to do something to redeem himself. And by the end of the movie, everything is all well and good and everybody's back where they need to be. And and Woody has experienced this redemption and kind of this restoration as the, the top toy and Andy's favorite and Buzz is right there, kind of his sidekick and all the other toys are there playing. And Hollywood has made millions of dollars off of this story that Disney and Pixar came up with together. And then there's our movie after movie. There's the sequel, Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3, because we as a people, we as a culture, we are drawn to these redemption stories. You know, some of you are probably thinking right now about a movie maybe you saw over the Thanksgiving holiday. Maybe that's a family tradition of yours to go and see a movie. And, and some character in that story did something wrong and had to be redeemed somehow and had to experience some sort of redemption. You know, we watched it play out in the game. 
yesterday between Ohio State and Michigan. Sam Garcia, I apologize for going this direction, but I just have to do this. He's a Michigan fan, and they did not win the game. But the kicker for Ohio State during regulation missed two field goals, both of them under 40 yards. He was perfect for the season, 14 for 14. Hadn't missed a single field goal under 40 yards, and he missed two in the same game. But with about 16 seconds left, it got close to the end of the game, and they're down three points. They need a field goal to tie, a touchdown to win. You know, I'm rooting for overtime because I don't have a dog in the fight. I just want to see him keep playing because it was just such a good game. And so he gets up there, and he lines up, and it's, it's, you know, it's not much more than an extra point, a little 20-yard field goal, but he's got to make it to keep his team in the game. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. In fact, the announcer on the game, I don't know if any of you were watching, he said, this is like, for this little college kicker, this is like standing over a three-foot putt at the end of the Masters, and you've got to make it to win the tournament. I mean, could you imagine sitting there, your hands are just shaking. For him, he's got to go back out there and do something that he has not done successfully previously in that same game in front of 110,000 people, all but about 5,000 of them want him to make a kick. The other 5,000 are in blue and yellow, and they don't want him to make it. And so he sits there, and he lines up, takes his steps, does all his normal routine, and kicks the ball right through the uprights. The game goes into overtime. A couple of sessions later, their running back runs in the game-winning touchdown, and they win the game. He experienced redemption right there. Just a few hours before, he was, the, he was the goat. He was the laughingstock. Everybody in the stands was probably saying, who knows what about him. All the Ohio State fans were upset with him. All the Penn State fans and all the Michigan fans were all feeling different about him because they all needed different things to happen. And yet he redeems himself. And we, are, we as a people are drawn to those stories. I just happened to be uh, skimming through uh, Twitter a couple days ago and saw one about a, a 25-year-old guy who's a police officer in Euless, Texas. He played football at Euless Trinity High School. Um, and he was guilty as a 17-year-old student, of a uh, high school football player, of intentionally blindsiding a referee because he was mad that his team was losing and that referee had made a bad call. He's come to know Christ. He played linebacker for Sam Houston State University for several years, and now he's serving today as a 25-year-old police officer in Euless, Texas, influencing the lives of some of the young men who are in the place now as 16 and 17 years old, year olds that he was in 2008 when he made a potentially life-altering decision to basically attack this referee in the middle of the game. And this article that the Dallas Morning News had about this police officer was all about how his life had been redeemed, how he had turned his life over to Christ, how he had become a Christian and said, I want to make a difference in my world. And that, that, that stuff sells. Sports, entertainment, news media, they make money off of our being captivated and our being moved by redemption stories. You know, and I wonder this morning as we, as we think about the people around us, as we think about the last several weeks, as we've looked at the life of the man who changed everything and we looked at the way that Jesus in different ways has changed our culture and changed the way we live our lives and changed the way we relate to God. And now as we, we take this Sunday between Thanksgiving and the start of the month of December and the Advent season started this morning and we take the walk and the road towards Christmas. I just wonder if we really, if we really have truly considered the fact that even though we do love redemption stories, are we good at practicing redemption? Especially those of us in this room who've, who've experienced redemption in our lives. We can point back to a time and a place in our lives where we did not know Jesus as our personal Savior. And we can think back to something that happened. Someone influential shared a conversation with us. We heard a message 
that moved us. We saw something happen in our lives. There were circumstances that caused us to want to trust Jesus as our Savior. Uh, For me, that happened as an eight-year-old boy at at a royal ambassador camp in northeast Texas outside of Dangerfield, a little place called Lone Star, Um, and just an opportunity there to be drawn to Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. A couple weeks later, I was baptized in my home church in First Baptist Sulphur Springs. I just had an opportunity there to then grow and experience the process of redemption, a process that I'm still experiencing today. That I still have to wake up each morning and, and recognize that I, I can't do what I do as a, as a husband, as a father, as an individual, as a minister, as a friend, a family member. All the different things that God has called me to do without the redemption that I've experienced and the walk that I have with Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, are we, we're quick to be redeemed. We're quick to say, yes, I want that for my life. I need that for my life. But are we quick when that happens to someone around us? When that happens in a world that is, is drastically different than maybe what we see God's design and God's plan, do we, do we receive those who are in need of redemption? Do we receive those who have been redeemed and maybe their circumstances are not, not what we would like them to be? And that's, what, that's what's happening in this story in the book of Acts that we want to read today and look at, at these two characters in this story. And this is this is not the kind of redemption story like Toy Story where a bunch of, of people sat in a room and wrote down on a piece of paper or typed on a computer a script for a movie. You know, this is real time. This is nonfiction. This is real stuff that happens. And it's so much more powerful than anything that, that Hollywood could ever come up with. But in Acts chapter, chapter 9, starting in verse 10, it says, There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said to him, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18 says, And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. As you look at this this real-life redemption story, there's really two different stories at play in here. You have what's happened in, in Saul's life, and then you have what's happened in, in Ananias' life. And so I want to start with, with talking a little bit about Saul. Um, just a few verses before, we get the conversion story of Paul. We see in, in, in chapter 9, verse 1, that Saul, while still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And so we see this individual who is involved in the persecution of early Christians. We, we, we see a little bit about this man named Saul, who we today know as Paul. 
author of a number of letters in the New Testament, author of a number of letters to, to specific early churches to help them interact with one another, to help them understand theology, doctrine, to help them understand relationships a little better, and to help them to do what God had called him to do. But he wasn't always the author we know as Paul. He wasn't always this missionary set on fire by God. He was quite the opposite of that at one point in his life. Before he started down that walk to Damascus, before he started down that road, he was Saul, persecutor of Christians, someone involved in some of the most heinous behavior in the world at that time. Someone that Ananias wouldn't have wanted to cross paths with. Ananias even says so. Lord, I've heard, verse 13, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. How he has authority to call the chief priest to bind all who call on, on the name of Jesus. The Lord says, but go to him. He's my chosen instrument. So then you get this second character. You get Ananias. Verse 10 describes him as a disciple. You've heard that word a lot as, as Jeff and others, and you've seen it written as we talk about the vision that God has laid before our church, that God would renovate the heart of First Adventist Conroe to help us be a people that, that, that go from being ordinary people to world-changing disciple makers. Well, there have to be some disciples in that process. And many of you are disciples. Many of you are like Ananias, where maybe you have or you're waiting on God to call on you for something to go to someone, to do something, to respond to some situation, some need. And here's Ananias, his first initial response in verse, the end of verse 10. Here I am, Lord. You see that several times throughout Scripture. Someone, someone receives a vision, they hear a word from God, and their first response before knowing anything else, here I am. I'm here, use me. I, I, I'm here, I want, to, I want to obey, I want to do what you call me to do. And many of you are at that place in your life. But then when he tells him where to go and who to see and what to do, he's like, hold on a minute. I mean, God, have you read verse 1, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord? Hello, verse 10, now there was a disciple at Damascus. I mean, he's thinking, what's going to happen when I go and sit in the room with this guy? And Christian and I were talking about this passage and this message before the Thanksgiving break, and he said, you know, what would it have been like for a for a Jew in the 1940s to, to, to really feel compelled to go and sit down and meet with Hitler? I mean, what if they really felt like God was saying, you, you need to go talk to him. You need to go shake him, wake him up, do something. Could you imagine what they felt like? Could you imagine what Ananias would have felt like to say, you know what, I'm gonna, you're, you want to use me to go and sit down in front of Saul, who can do all these things. I mean, he could end my life right now if he wanted to, not knowing until God told him, in verse 15, that, that God was doing something in his life. God was in the process of redeeming him. And I don't know if this morning, you might know someone that, that God is in the process of redeeming them. They haven't quite figured it out yet. Maybe they're, maybe they're not literally blinded like Saul was, but maybe, maybe figuratively, maybe spiritually, maybe relationally, they're blinded to the truth of who Jesus is. And God wants to, to use one of you to reveal that to them through something you say. Maybe something you do. I don't, I don't know what it is this morning that God's calling you to do, but I know this. I know that there's some things that you and I can learn from, from Ananias and, and Saul's interaction with one another. And I know that there's something that we can learn about the, the central figure in this story. See, Ananias and Saul, they're just, they're just characters in the story. They're like a Woody and like a Buzz. They're involved in the story, but they're not the, the central part of the story. See, see the change that Jesus Christ brought about in Saul's life 
on the road to Damascus. You see that in the verses preceding. You see that in verses 1 through verse 9 where Jesus comes to him. Verse 5 says, he said to you, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The very one that was persecuted, the central figure in all of Christianity, the one that, that the songs that we'll sing about in the coming weeks leading into Christmas, the one that the Christmas season centers around his birth, him becoming flesh, the entering into the world, visits Saul and says, I, I want to redeem you because I want to use you. The same way he re- redeemed Ananias at some point in his life. We don't know as much history about his conversion, but we do know this, that God wanted to use him. And so what, what is it that you and I can learn from the lives of Ananias? And what is it that, that you and I can learn from the life of, of Saul, who was later converted to Paul? I think the first thing is this, is that, that we need to be redeemed. I'm not just saying we as in the people sitting in this room, but, but people need redemption. It doesn't take us very long to figure out that we, we are a messed up people. Uh, even the very best of us, we're still messed up. And so when we come before God or we come into the church or we sit down around God's word, we, we need to know and we need to acknowledge the fact that we need redemption. And, and Jesus Christ is the only one capable of providing that redemption. It's as if, you know, if, if you're comparing it to the, to the movie illustration, it's as if Jesus is not just the central character in the story, but he wrote the story. He's the producer. He's the director. He's the paper on which it's written. He's the medium on which the, the, the story is stored. If you want to go electronic with it, he is everything. He's essential to that story. And so we see that, and we need that redemption. And Paul had that in his life as he was converted from Saul to Paul. Ananias had that in his life as he became a disciple and a member of the early church. And the second thing that you and I need to understand is not just that that we need redemption, but that we are worthy of redemption. And not just we sitting here in this room, but we people in general are worthy of redemption. When God looks, looks down at you and he looks down at me and he looks down at those around you and those in this world, he, he says, you are worth it. Not, not collectively, not just collectively, but individually. He wants you to know that you are worth it. He wants you to know that when John wrote, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He wants you to know that when we read that at the Christmas time and we know that Jesus took on flesh, he did that for a purpose. And that purpose is that each one of us is worth it. And then Jesus understood that it was worth it enough for you and I that that he would go all the way to the cross for us. Now he says, let this cup pass from me when he's praying and angst in the garden. He said, if it be your will, but if not, let your will be done. I just want to be obedient to you. And then the last thing we see that I think we need to know is that that redeemed people impact the world. You see that at the end of the story. You see that at the end of this account in verse 19 and 20. uh, Saul, soon to be Paul, took food, was strengthened. He spent some time with the disciples in Damascus. And in verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. See, God used a redeemed life in Ananias to impact Saul and then God used a redeemed life named Paul who used to be Saul to impact the church to literally impact the world and even just this summer as I spent uh, several days in in England as a part of the the doctoral program at Dallas Baptist University a trip that they put together each each summer in the, the, the third year of the program you go there 
fly into London and you spend some time at Oxford, um, spend some time in the, the cities around that area. And one of the things we did on the first Sunday we were there is we went on kind of a, a church hopping tour. We attended services at two different churches, one in the morning and one in the evening. But in the afternoon, we toured a church that was built in 1018. It's St. Peter's and St. Paul's. It's in only England. Um, and, and a man named John Newton was pastor of that church uh, from 1764 to 1769. And I snapped a couple of pictures while I was there. Um, I snapped a picture of his, of his headstone. Uh, he died in 1807, was born in 1725. And for much of his life, he was involved in the British slave trade. He was a sailor. He was involved in the Navy. And he used those skills that he had developed to be involved in, in, in that part of that, that country's lifestyle at that time and just really felt convicted that that was not what he was supposed to do. Gave his life to Christ, ultimately became a pastor, pastor of that church for five years. That church was built, like I said, or the church started in, in 1018. In the 1300s, the building that we had a chance to be in was built. That's the, the lectinary and kind of the front of the church, the stage, the podium, if you will, and there's pews kind of parallel down each side, and so we spent some time together. There were probably 25 or 30 of us in our travel group, and then a few, um, a few tourists were there with us as well. And looking where I was kind of positioned, looking across the way from me was this stained glass window. It says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. See, John Newton, who pastored this church, who was once a slave trader, was redeemed by Jesus Christ along with another individual who he impacted his life named William Cooper, they wrote a song called Faith's Review and Expectation, a song that, that we, we sing today known as Amazing Grace, a song that Nathan and Cooper played for us before the message. See, this summer I got to learn about a series of different men and women who, who, who display different types of, of what we were looking at as incarnational leadership, taking on the mind and body of Christ and living in life. And John Newton was an example that we looked at that day of incarnational redemption and how he took on the very concept of redemption and embodied what he had learned about Jesus Christ from God's word and lived that out. He expressed in some of his writings that he had a deep desire to serve a God of redemption, but he wanted to put it into practice. And so as you think about that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like Alan Armstrong. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like John Newton. That saved a wretch like Saul. That saved a wretch like Ananias. You can insert your name in there. Maybe today it's, it's that we need to do a little bit of, as the original song title said, faith's review and expectation. What, what's our expectation of our faith in Jesus Christ? What do we expect God to do and what do we expect to happen as we live out and as we practice redemption in our lives? You know, I think it's pretty easy for us to understand that we all need redemption. It's not hard to get away from that each day. It's even pretty easy to understand that every one of us is worthy of redemption. As we see that in Scripture and we see that play out in the world. But then that third part, it's much harder than take that step and say, okay, having experienced redemption in my life, how am I going to impact the world around me? What am I going to do? You may not be able to, to write a song that becomes a, a, a cornerstone hymn of, of the faith like Amazing Grace. You may not be able to influence someone 
like William Wilberforce, like John Newton did, had an influence over him who would go to, to, to be the, the leader in London for abolishing slave, the slave trade first and then slavery altogether in all of England and all of the British Empire. You may not have that kind of impact, but that doesn't matter. Because you have an opportunity to impact someone maybe sitting next to you this morning. Maybe someone you're going to go home to this afternoon. Maybe someone that you're going to go back to school with on Monday. Or you're going to be back at work with on Tuesday. You have an opportunity to impact those people's lives because you have a story of redemption that God wants you to tell. Maybe this morning you don't have that story. Maybe this morning you want to, to have that story for the first time. You want to have a, a marker in your life like I have from August in 1993 where I can look back and say, that's when God began a process of redemption in me and showed me that I needed a Savior. Maybe this morning you would admit, you know, when we, when we sat down and we had a time to pray for things that we were thankful for. Maybe you couldn't pray that you were thankful for a Savior. You know Jesus can be that person, but you haven't trusted him as your Savior. In just a minute, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. We're going to give you a time to do that. I don't know what it is that God is stirring in your heart at this point in your life, but I know this. I know that as a redeemed people, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to be obedient like Ananias and to go before those who are in the process of or in need of redemption and say, I'm here, God. I want to serve you. I want to be used by you.